as a congregation for November and December, we're going through Proverbs and we're looking at these ancient life hacks, this ancient wisdom that God gives for life to go more smoothly. And we're using that phrase life hack, you know, those trips, those uh, tricks and those tips to make life go more smoothly. I'll tell you what, as I've prepared these week by week, you have no idea how many life hacks there are that have to do with alcohol. Our country is a bunch of alcoholics. I'm t- like, I just want to point out at this point, we have a wonderful AA meeting here Thursday nights at 6.30. Some of you might need to be there. It is a great group of recovering addicts. And uh, so I am not going to give you a hack today on how to get your beer super cold, super fast. But what I will do is talk to you about painting. You know how when you're painting and you got that round can, you got that flat paintbrush, and you try to scrape the paint off and it gets all down the side and in the groove, and it's a mess, right? All right, watch this light hack. It's pretty clever, right? All you need is a rubber band, and boom, problem solved. So uh, that life hack is actually related to the topic in Proverbs that we will be looking at today. We're going to be talking about marriage. What is the link between painting and marriage? Let me ask you, uh, you as a married couple, have you ever tried to do a house remodeling project together? Yeah, we should probably talk about that, right? And uh, I remember my parents growing up, oh my goodness, they, I, I can specifically remember, they fought all the time, but the worst was when they were hanging wallpaper together. Which, wallpaper, like why? Why did we do that? I don't know, I don't know. But they wanted to save some money by doing it themselves. And uh, actually, the product on the walls was amazing. The product in their marriage, not so much, Right? They fought so bad, and they were saving themselves money. I guarantee you they spent more than that on the marriage counseling and the lawyers, right? So you, didn't, you would have saved yourself money to just pay some professionals to wallpaper those rooms, but oh well, oh well. So we're going to be talking about marriage today. And as we turn there, I realize not everyone in this room is married. Uh, but as we go to Proverbs, we're pulling out the major themes of Proverbs, And there are more verses on marriage in Proverbs than any other book in the Bible. It's a major theme. And so even if you're not married, you understand God didn't hand you a Bible with the verses on marriage edited out. Like that's the word of God. And so we want to look at this together as a congregation because there's lots of wisdom there. By the way, this week as I was thinking about wisdom, I wonder if wisdom is a lot like looking down and watching a mouse go through a maze. Have you ever seen this? Here's a, watch this video, and we'll talk about this as that, and this is going on. You've seen things like this before, where you're looking down and watching the mouse go through the maze. I find myself, when I watch these, I'm kind of rooting for the mouse, right? Like you find yourself like, no, 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 don't go that way. No, like in the upper right there, that dead end, man, turn around. Turn, no, no, turn around. Go like, I'm like, Come on, dude. And, and so I find myself cheering and rooting them on. Now, in a little bit here, this guy on the bottom, and see, he's going to a dead end again. And we're going to probably freeze it right about there because right after that, he starts to clean himself. And <laughs> that's not what we're here for this morning, right? But I do. I find myself kind of trying to cheer them and steer them. Now, the reason why, it's, I want to believe I'm a little bit smarter than a mouse. 
hopefully. But that's not the main point. Check this out. The reason why I'm doing that is because I have a perspective that the mice don't have. I look down with a bird's eye view and I see the whole maze. And so I'm able to know you, if you go left there, you're going to a dead end. And that is what is going on. I think that's a lot like wisdom. God has a perspective that we don't. He sees the entire maze and he sees us in this maze and we're going left, right. And he's saying, don't go that way. Are you sure, God? To go right here seems hard. Trust me. I can see the whole maze. That is wisdom that he is giving to us. So as we look at marriage, what we want to do is we want to see marriage from God's perspective because he sees the entire maze. He's got a better perspective on it than we do. God invented marriage. God made me. God made my spouse, and he knows what's around the bend in my life. I ought to seek his perspective, his wisdom on marriage. And that's what we're going to do today. Remember, as you're in marriage, all you can see like a mouse are the walls. God can see the whole maze. And he's saying, don't go that way, little mouse. Go the other way. So let's seek out his wisdom. We're going to do marriage from God's perspective. We'll look at a few different areas. Uh, The first one I want to talk about is the value of marriage, the value of marriage. To get at that, I first want to talk about the value of a good, juicy steak or hamburger. Uh, I know we have some vegetarians in our midst, uh, but you people even acknowledge that those things taste good. Right, because you got that plant-based meat stuff going on right now. That's well, it tastes just like meat, which you acknowledge tastes good, right? And so that reminded me of this meme right here. Companies are bragging about making plants taste like meat. Cows have been doing that forever, (laughs) right? Do it God's way, anyway. All right. So, so we acknowledge that that steak tastes good, right? Now, here, why, why go into that? Look at this proverb right here. 15, 17 says, Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fattened ox and hatred with it. What's that saying? Like, you're better off with a, a loving, good marriage and a salad than you are if you have a steak, but you have hate with it. Okay? It's better. So, so a salad versus steak means nothing. A good versus a bad marriage, that is valuable. That is a difference maker. That means everything. It's the value of marriage. It's way more than taste and food. Or, or, let's get at it another way. Look at this picture right here, if you will. Now, if you know the series of the show, like just zip it for a sec, don't say anything. I was not familiar with it. And so when I found this online, uh, it took me a little bit. I showed this to Pastor Austin. I said, hey, what, what do you think you're looking at there? And he said, a homeless guy. I showed it to my wife, and she said, that's a criminal from New York. <laughs> Evidently, New York has like worse criminals than the rest of us. I, I don't know. That's, that's what Shannon said. That's a criminal from New York right there. All right, so, so you're looking at that. You're not really sure what that actor is portraying, but look at the next picture. Now do you know? Same actor, same character, same show, but the crown is a difference maker, right? You put that crown on his head. That's a king in both shots. You put the crown on his head, you know you're looking at a king, right? Why is that important? Look at Proverbs chapter 12, verse 4. An excellent wife is the crown of her husband, but she who brings shame is like rottenness 
in his bones. Do you see how valuable marriage is? An excellent wife or even an excellent husband. That is like a crown. Now, when I first encountered that, that proverb, I struggled with it. Like, what's that mean that a, an excellent wife is the crown of her husband? Now I get it. You take the crown off a king, you don't know who he is. You think he's a homeless dude or a criminal from New York, right? <laughs> and you don't know. You don't know. You put that crown on him and everybody steps back and goes, that's royalty. That's regal. That's dignity. That's value. That's value. An excellent wife is like a crown. Or it goes sour. And it brings rottenness to our bones. So we got to make sure that we keep marriage in its proper value, its proper place, proper priority. I wanna, if you're married, I want to suggest some priorities for your life. Here's the list right here. Number one, God. Number two, your spouse, your marriage. Number three, everything else. Your kids go in number three. I know that's hard for some of you, but listen, the best thing you can do for your children is give them a home with a solid, awesome marriage in it. You want to serve your kids, you keep your marriage in the number two spot. God, then spouse, then everything else. Shannon and I learned this principle earlier on in our marriage. We realized that, it, I, I realized that if my relationship with God is healthy and my relationship with my wife is healthy, bring it. Life can throw anything at me and God's going to get me through it just a-okay. But if my relationship with God is not good and or my relationship with my spouse, when stuff goes wrong, it goes really wrong. And it's really, really hard to deal with. A good marriage can't be found. It must be built. We already did a, a week in Proverbs on hard work. We're harvesting some of that today because I'm telling you, your marriage is valuable, but you're going to have to work for it. You're going to have to invest in it and build that marriage. Now, some of you will say, no, nah, I don't want to. And there's God looking down saying, don't go that route, little mouse. That is a dead end. That is not a good way to go. Marriage is way, way too valuable. Now, if you look then, God and spouse are number one and number two. The reason those take the top two spots is because both of those relationships are based upon covenant commitment. So the first thing we looked at is valuable, the uh, value. The second thing we want to look at is commitment in marriage. See, we're, we're asking God to give us wisdom because he sees a perspective we don't. What is God's perspective on marriage? Well, let's look at Proverbs 5. Proverbs 5 has tons of wisdom on marriage. Look at this. Starting in verse 15, it says, Drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets? Let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. How many of you are lost right now? You're like, but this is about marriage. Why are we talking about water so much? Just want you to have the context. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breast fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he is held fast 
in the cords of his sin. The word of God. I just got to say some words I don't often get to use on a Sunday morning. That's good. Clearly, this passage is using water as a metaphor for sexual delight. This is R-rated scripture right here, but again, the word of God. If you didn't quite track with everything, I can put up an anatomical diagram for you right now. But for now, let's just stick with fountains and springs. (laughs) Do with that what you will. But don't miss this. Here's what it's saying quite clearly. Quench your thirst at home. Quench your thirst at home, little mouse. Go home. Now, don't think that's boring, though. We like, oh, crap, I got to go quench my thirst at home. Boring old water. No, 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 no. You missed something there. It's supposed to be intoxicating. Intoxicating. It's not dull. God is blessing. God is not cursing. He wants you to go get drunk with love with your spouse. And it is both spiritual and sexual at the same time. We tend to bifurcate those. We separate those like they're mutually exclusive. God doesn't. They are one in the same. And so he's telling you to go get intoxicated in love with your wife, with your husband. And it's not sanitized like, well, that means go read the scripture and pray. No, read that thing. There's breasts and bosoms being talked about in there, right? There's fountains. in, And so what we learn here is that God doesn't blush. You catch that? God doesn't blush. God is not anti-sex. God invented sex. God is anti-sin. And God knows if you go down that corridor, little mouse, it's not going to end well. That ain't good. Go home. Go quench your thirst at home. Why? Because God sees the whole maze. You see, it says, for a man's ways are before the Lord. He considers all his paths. God sees the whole maze. He knows which way you're going. And if you go that route, and if you go the wrong way, you get in a trap, in a snare. You get caught, little mouse. Don't go that route. Go home. Go home to whom? It says, go home to the wife of your youth, which is an interesting phrase we don't use these days. Like, what is that talking about? Is that talking about like a May-December kind of marriage? You know these where you got usually an old dude and a really younger woman, a May-December thing. Is that what that's talking about? Actually, I had, um, had a woman come up to me last Sunday in the atrium, and she said, Pastor Rick, I, uh, back just yesterday, Saturday morning, I was driving down the road past Starbucks, and I looked over and I saw what looked like a, a, an older man hanging out with a much younger woman. And, uh, you know, those kind of intrigue us, so she looked closer It was you, Pastor Rick. (laughs) So the beard's just a little bit silver, right? Just a little bit. But what I did is I just admitted to you people that your pastor was hanging out with a much younger woman. So she looked closer. It was my wife. I'm one month older than her. (laughs) One month. I'm blessed. I am blessed. I don't think that's what this is talking about. Uh, What it's talking about when it says the wife of your youth, it's talking about the woman you married when you were young, right? So now years have gone by. You've been through battles. There's been scars. She's given you kids. Time and gravity have won. And you're you're looking outside and saying, no, 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 go home to the wife of your youth. 
Be committed to her. Be intoxicated with her. Rejoice in her. Be smitten with her, not some stranger. That's what it's saying. Now listen, I realize probably many of you are struggling in your marriage. Uh, If you're struggling in your marriage, I'm going to suggest that you get a new marriage with the same spouse. You don't bounce on the spouse. No, you keep the same spouse. You need a new marriage because you're going to keep your covenant commitment. Remember what I said to you when we were talking about jobs uh, during this Proverbs series, that if you bounce from your job, remember you take you with you. And if you bounce from your marriage, you take you with you. And you're part of the problem, right? So what we need to do is we need to commit. We need to stick. We need to build right there. Every marriage is difficult. A good marriage can't be found. It must be built. Every marriage is difficult. And so you have to at some point say, no, I'm going to stick right here, build right here. Otherwise, I'll believe the lie that if I leave, I'll get, go get an easy marriage. And it looks easy at first, but then you get in it and you find out you have another imperfect marriage with another imperfect spouse. And by the way, you took you with you. And so that's not the way to go. God's saying, don't do that, little mouse. And so what we do instead is we do emotional divorce. All right, fine. I'll keep my covenant commitment, but I still hate her. Cheaper to keep her. (laughs) So I'll just stay. Don't go that way, little mouse. That is another bad turn in the maze. You are going to end up living with a difficult... You need a new marriage. And you can't do that. you got to commit. So I'm going to ask that we listen to the wisdom of God as he looks down on this maze. And you go home and you indulge in your spouse. You invest in that marriage. You get intoxicated with the wife of your youth, the husband of your youth. Now, to build that, you might need some counseling. We have some wonderful counselors that we can recommend. They're on our website. You might need some marital counseling. You might need confession and prayer. Meaning, if you're in a community group and your marriage is struggling, you ought to bring that up at community group and ask everyone to be praying for you. At the very least, you need confession with your spouse. Let's be honest. This is hard. Let's be in this together. Let's work on it together. Let's let's fight for it together. Not fight against each other. Fight together. You might need to remember the spouse of your youth. Why did you marry her? Why did you marry him? You're going, I don't know. No, no, remember, you had a reason, and and it's the same person. Like, remember how much you love that person. You might need to go on dates. Because sometimes what you've done is you've fallen, you know what, marriage is about laundry. And when marriage is all about laundry, it ain't too fun. You might need to get a stinking babysitter, bite the bullet, pay the bullet, go out and just spend time laughing together again. Or you might need to get in Financial Peace University. This class coming up. Because sometimes what's going on is finances are kicking your butt and it's injecting stress and that's one of the big problems. I don't know what it is for you, but you're going to have to invest and build your marriage because of the commitment. By the way, another angle on this whole commitment issue is the issue of comparison. We talked about this a little bit during the week when we talked about envy comparison. We're harvesting some of that this week. We're going to stick right in Proverbs 5, but we're going to back up just a little bit. Earlier in the chapter, it says this. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. 
But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander, and she does not know it. And now, O sons, listen to me, and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her. And do not go near the door of her house, lest you give your honor to others and your years to the merciless. I love how honest this is. She looks good. There's honey, there's oil, she's sweet, she's smooth, it's honest, she looks good. But here's the thing, God is the one looking down on the maze from above, and he goes, if you go that route, you just got to know where that corridor ends. It's going towards bitterness. A two-edged sword, death, Sheol, don't go that route. Go home, little mouse. And say, well, fine, I may be on a diet, but I can still look at the menu. Proverbs doesn't so much say that. You won't find that one in the Word of God. What it says right there is, do not go near the door of her house. Keep your way far from her. Because see, what happens for us at times is we think, you know what, um, maybe just a little flirting won't hurt. I mean, you understand, nobody is rocking like an awesome marriage and then wakes up that morning and thinks, I'll have an affair today. That's not the way it goes. What happens is little compromises along, along the way. Like, what's the big deal if I go near the door of her house? That's not bad, right? There's no sin in that. But you know what? What if I just step in for five minutes? That's okay, right? What if I go into the What if I, and it's just little sacrifices, little compromises. Each one is easy to swallow. And one after another, after another, after another, boom, adultery. Don't even go near the door of her house. Don't even look in her direction. Keep your, your way far away from her. You go home, little mouse, and go be intoxicated with your spouse. Now, side note here that, that may be important. Uh, some of you may have realized, I'm guessing, ladies, you've noticed already, that a lot of this language seems geared towards the men, right? Proverbs, uh, they, they suspect, these were collections of wisdom sayings that would have been bound together and used in the instruction of young men. And that's why some of that gearing's there. But of course, we're, we're wise enough, we can, we can translate this, and it's important that we do. Because we have a very fallen world, and there's a lot of gender confusion going on. One of the things we see happening with the gender confusion is that we are more apt to pick up the other gender's weakness instead of their strength. And we see that happening with issues of lust and pornography. It has long been said that lust and pornography is a, a men's problem. And that's just not true. Studies are very clear that there is increasing, that women deal with it just as often. And ladies, I want you to hear that from me. I know that. Because sometimes what happens is when a woman deals with lust and pornography, she's doing the comparison. She's going near the door of the house. She's looking outside. What also happens is she deals with extra shame because this is just a man's thing. So I'm a freak that I deal with this too. And that's just not true. You're not a freak. You can unload that shame. Now we have a problem that we all deal with and we all need to deal with and grow in and get help with. Do not go near the door of his house. So let's talk about comparison then. Because what's going on then is men and women alike, we are looking outside of our marriage and comparing our spouses to someone else. But that's always a losing game, and here's why. 
Nobody knows the worst about my wife more than me. That's just a truism in marriage. Marriage is a safe space where we actually take the makeup off, right? You think about a bride on her wedding night and just how amazing she looks. And then the groom wakes up next to her the next morning. Things shifted a little bit, right? That's a sacred space. That's a sacred trust, right? And no, Listen, Shannon and I, we've gone through battles together. We've got scars. Uh, we have done life together. And that is a sacred trust. Nobody sees Shannon at her worst more than I do. So what I do when I compare is I end up comparing the worst in Shannon to the best in another woman. Go figure, she loses that. I'm comparing Shannon at wake up morning time to the other woman on her wedding night. That's a losing game. And so there's a sacred trust going on there. It, be careful with that. If you compare, you lose. If you lust, you lose. If you flirt, you lose. If you go near the door of that house, you lose. If you wander, you lose. Go home, little mouse. Go home. Be intoxicated with your wife. All right, so we've talked about value. We've talked about commitment. What I want to talk about next is conflict because we're talking about marriage. Not just me? No, not, not you guys? Okay, just me. Just you listen along then. As conflict uh, involves, uh, is involved in marriage, I, I believe. Shannon and I have been married for 22 great years. 27 total. Uh, um, Shannon doesn't like that joke so much, but, uh, but, but the point is that if you're going to be married, you need to learn to handle conflict well. You have to. Can I share a pretty funny verse with you, a couple verses out of Proverbs? Proverbs 21.9 and 27.15 say this, It is better to live in a corner of the housetop than in a house shared with a quarrelsome wife. A continual dripping on a rainy day and a quarrelsome wife are alike. <laughs> I didn't say everyone would think it's funny, just half my audience. It compares a quarrelsome wife to water torture. <laughs> that's, that's what's going on there. Now, time out. Remember, this is marriage from God's perspective. And I already told you that this is written mainly toward young men. So the, the impact of this passage is not to tell women to quit nagging. The impact is to tell a young man, when you have a course on wife, what do you do? And you don't bounce. We've already removed that option from the table. So you don't get to just leave. So what he's saying is stop the drip before it becomes a flood. Stop the drip before it becomes a flood, which means you need to go minister to her. You need to love her. You need to heal your marriage. You say, no, I'm too bitter. I'm too done. Okay, fine, little mouse. Then you live in a drippy house. Have fun with that. No, go home. See, so Proverbs has so much to say about how to do conflict resolution, how to deal with quarrels. In life in general, we can apply them to marriage. I'm going to put four up there. I'm not going to unpack those now. We don't have time this morning. You can take a picture. You can write them down. You can study it later in Proverbs. This much I'll give you. When you're in a conflict in your marriage, you need to ask, what is my goal? Is your goal to be right, to be vindicated, to get your way? Don't go that route, little mouse. 
Instead, your goal should be to have a great marriage. This is so key. You got to be in it together. So when you are fighting, that means there is a battle coming against your team. You are a team with your spouse. We're in it together. There's a threat. Let's, let's deal with this threat together. I want to suggest to you that when you're fighting, you go sit on a couch. When you sit on a couch, you are shoulder to shoulder facing the same direction. The problem's out there. It's coming at us. Let's work on this together, teammate. It's not where we usually fight, is it? We often fight in the kitchen. You laugh because it's true. And when we're in the kitchen, what we do is we both lean against our own counters. And the football's in between us. The person I face off against the football is my opponent. And my goal is to win as she loses. I want to move the football as much in the direction I want as possible. That's not a good way to go. Instead, I want to sit on the couch with my wife. We're shoulder to shoulder. We're on the same team. Let's solve this together. Something's coming at us. We're teammates. After all, what do you want, little mouse? You got to think it through. If you don't commit to resolving conflict well, it will hurt your marriage. And if you ditch your marriage, it'll hurt your life. It'll hurt your spouse, whom you're called to minister to, and it will hurt your kids. And so you got to commit to working on your marriage. Now, I'll tell you this. There's only one person in the world that you can fix. It's not your spouse. It's you. You can only fix yourself. So it might not always get easier. But know this, when God's looking at that maze, he's got perspective that we don't have. Even in a difficult marriage, I can be in the process of sanctification, which means I'm becoming more like Jesus. You know Jesus is a husband to his bride, the church, and we treat him like crap all the time. And so I'm in the process of becoming more like Jesus, even in the difficult marriage. As well, I'm in the process of fulfilling the ministry to which God has called me. That is to minister to my spouse regardless, even if it's a hard marriage. I got to lean into that. And granted, in the process, I hope that grace and mercy and love uh, become such a healing balm that it influences my spouse. Yeah, but there's no guarantee of that. The only one I can fix is myself. Now, of course, all of this assumes that, uh, that your spouse is the problem and your poop don't stink. That ain't true. Week one of this series, we looked at wisdom, and we realized the proverb says one of the keys to wisdom is humility and teachability, that I've got to be more concerned with my sin than my spouse's sin. At the end of time, I'll stand before Jesus. We ain't talking about Shannon's sin i got to be more concerned with my stuff than hers. I've had the privilege of counseling some couples. I don't do that as much anymore. Pastor Jared really does that better and so bears that for our church. Uh, but I can remember when, I, when I've done that sometimes where I've sat with a couple that was so unhumble and I had so little hope for them saving their marriage. My goal was always to get the couple to leave my office that I wanted both of them leaving saying, the biggest problem in my marriage is me. If I could get them both there, I knew there was great hope for where they were headed. Unfortunately, sometimes they were stuck. The biggest problem in my marriage is him, is her. And that wasn't going to go well, little mouse. Not at all. I had to get them there. When you think it's just your spouse's fault, you are lacking God's perspective on the maze. And to be honest with you guys, I I am blessed with a great marriage, but it it has not always been easy. We've had to fight for it. We've had to build it. It's been tough over the years because we both suck. And we we both brought baggage into the marriage. And now we've been in ministry for about 25 plus years. The last decade, 
I've watched a church go from 70 to 1,400. Do you think there's some stress with that? A little bit. And, and in that time, we've also had teenagers. <laughs> and both of them have their issues. It's been difficult. But we love we stick, we commit, we invest, we build, we repent, we ask Jesus to be our Lord, and we serve him. We are learning. Listen, I'll be honest with you. When I pray for Shannon, I usually end up praying for myself. Let me explain what I mean by that. I start out saying, God, would you please fix Shannon? <laughs> and then the Holy Spirit kind of chimes in. <laughs> And when I find myself being seared towards, I end up praying, God, I think you need to fix Shannon. And I think the main thing Shannon needs is a better husband. Would you fix me? Get there. Get your heart to that point where you're saying, God, fix me to bless my spouse. Oh, you'll have a great marriage. All right. That's handling conflict. The last thing I want to talk about is the spiritual area of marriage, that Christ has to be at the center. Do you think of your marriage as worship? You understand, your marriage might be one of the most spiritual things that you do. You worship Jesus in your marriage, potentially more than singing songs on Sunday. Marriage is worship. This is marriage from God's perspective. He sees the whole maze, the whole field, and he has a purpose for marriage in our lives. God is supposed to be the foundation and the focus of marriage. So he's the beginning and the end. He's the foundation and the focus. Look, if you will, at Proverbs chapter 31, verse 10. This last chapter in Proverbs paints this picture of this amazing wife, and it begins by saying, an excellent wife who can find she is far more precious than jewels. Then it goes on to talk about and elaborate about how awesome this woman is. And it kind of crescendos. It's right at the end of the chapter. It's at the end of the book. And it says this in verse 30. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. And don't misunderstand. The Bible elsewhere affirms physical beauty. That's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. But it's not the most important thing. Having God as your foundation and your focus is. This is a woman who fears the Lord. See, we're looking at the maze from God's perspective and walking with him and loving him and being in his presence. That is the most important thing. So I want you to build your marriage such that God is both the foundation and the focus. And, and the, thing, the cool thing that happens there is, okay, listen, if God is here, husband, wife, the closer you go to God, what's happened to the husband and wife? They're getting closer to each other, right? The closer you grow to God, the closer you grow to each other. This is why it's really important that you not intentionally choose to marry a non-Christian. Because you just won't have that. When God is the foundation, when God is the focus, another thing that happens is that you get a common cause to your marriage. See, one of the biggest blessings to Shannon's in my life is that we launched our dating and then our marriage in the context of serving the kingdom. This was before we went into vocational ministry. This is not something for pastors. This is something for Christians. You understand, God's looking at the whole maze. God is a king. He's got a kingdom, and he's calling us to extend his kingdom. And God said, oh, I know what I'll do. I'll make them teammates. 
You see, your spouse is not just for intoxication. Your spouse is a partner in the battle that we are called to serve the kingdom. And he's going, I'm going to give you a teammate. I'm going to give you a partner. To have a kingdom cause in your marriage. If not, if your marriage is all about selfishly serving yourselves, then please don't be surprised when you have a selfish marriage. That just makes sense, right? We want to have cause. We want to have God as our foundation and as our focus. All right, so what we've talked about is marriage, the value of it, the commitment, dealing with conflict, and then lastly, we talked about Christ in our marriage. I want to encourage you this week. If you're uh, not married, let me just speak to you for a second. I realize some of you want to be married and aren't. Some of you are coming from very difficult uh, divorces and there's pain and this message is hard to hear. Some of you are in the soup right now in a very difficult marriage. I'm going to be praying for you this week, no doubt. For those of us who are married, I want you to ask some questions this week from God's perspective. Look at these questions. Is God the Lord of my marriage? Is he the foundation and the focus? If viewed from God's perspective, what in my marriage would change? What in my approach to marriage would change? And you see that in the next question there. God, what do you want from my marriage? God, how can I bless my spouse? God, how do I need to repent and change? God, how can we serve your kingdom together? Should have sort through those this week. And then the other thing I want you to do, not just this week, but, but kind of in the years to come, I want, I want you to be a lifelong learner in marriage. I told you already, if you're married, your marriage is your second most important relationship in your life. It will impact your life extraordinarily, and you don't know how to do it well. You, you get the problem there? You don't know how to do it. So what we need to do is be lifelong learners. I suggest, we've got some great books that we suggest on our website. On your anniversary date, Men, ask your wives what that date is, right? So on your anniversary date, each year, go pick a book on marriage, get two copies. Let's read chapter one this week. We'll get together at Starbucks and discuss it. Chapter two, chapter three. When we're done with the book, we're done. Next anniversary, next book. What if you read a book a year together as a married couple because you don't know how to do it well, but you have to know how to do it well? Go invest in your marriage. I hope you do. But for now, let me pray. Father, we come to you first as your bride, the church, the bride of Christ. And we admit that we have been a very unfaithful spouse and we've been very unkind. And we are so grateful for your unconditional covenant commitment to us to just dote on us and be intoxicated with us and love us like you have. Thank you. I do pray for those who, uh, when we talk of marriage, we talk of pain. Whether they want to be married or aren't, and aren't or, or maybe divorce in their background or hurting marriage right now, I pray for your grace in their lives right now. For those of us who you have called to marriage, I do pray that you would lead us to value our marriage, to lean in with commitment, to resolve conflict well, and then, Father God, would you be the foundation and the focus of our marriage, please? And I pray for that in Christ's name.